Welcome to Detour to Neverland, where you are the author of your own Disney story. There's a lot of satisfaction in developing ideas into realities. And you can find magic in your everyday life. If you do what you really want to do, you feel like you're playing. How can you write your first chapter today? Dreams are how we figure out where we want to go. Life is how we get there. I'm headed this way. We're your hosts, Brendan and Catherine. Welcome back to Detour to Neverland. Today is episode number 216. We're back for another storytelling episode. We do these every single Wednesday, and our goal here is to help you experience the rides and attractions in the Disney parks in a new way, help you feel different emotions or catch the different things that you didn't catch last time. So, Catherine, this one was actually my choice to pick. Surprisingly, it was. So we're talking about Frozen Ever After in Epcot. Yes. And I'm not sure how much to go ahead and share, but the couple of things that we kind of focused on were, of course, just the history of not even just necessarily, well, kind of the ride, but also just the Norway Pavilion as a whole. Um, Some of the things that the Imagineers did to kind of bring that to life and make it... um, What's the best word? Realistic, I guess. And then we talk about just Frozen itself as a movie and how that kind of came to be. And then we're going to finish it off by what is the actual story that is being told by Frozen Ever After. So we went into this trying not to mention Maelstrom too much. It's very hard. It's basically impossible um, because if we're really getting an understanding for the ride and kind of where it came from and some of the origins and just the Norway pavilion as a whole. I mean, Maelstrom is key in all of that. So let's go ahead and jump into it. Of course, we'll share our listener stories at the end as well and give our Neverland score, but just some of the facts to lay the groundwork for frozen ever after. So it was announced on September 12th, 2014, Normally, we don't focus on announcement dates. However, I think this one is very interesting because that was less than a year after Frozen came out. They knew they had struck gold. They They had to cash in. So if you think about that timeline, what happened? Frozen released in November of 2013. It was the uh, Thanksgiving release for that year. So their big blockbuster Thanksgiving release from the animation studio. Almost immediately... Maybe just a couple of months after Anna and Elsa started meeting in Norway in the pavilion, uh, kind of right next to the bathrooms. Yeah, (laughs) kind of a weird spot. But they built out a little area for them to meet and that saw massive crowds, unbelievable crowds. Yeah, I want to say in one of the videos we watched, it talked about almost three hour lines just to meet Anna and Elsa. And I feel like that is unheard of unless you're at like a special event. So Frozen Mania was a real thing. So they decided to cash in. And so they made the announcement in 2014 that they would be replacing Maelstrom with Frozen Ever After. It took them around two years, a little bit less than two years to construct it and open it. 
It opened on June 21st of 2016. Which, in my opinion, is a pretty quick turnaround. I mean, and in a lot of what we'll talk about today, they didn't have to create a brand new ride. They just kind of put Frozen on top of Maelstrom. So maybe that has a lot to do with it. But I do think it's a pretty impressive turnaround. So this is also the only current version of Frozen After After, but it's believed that the new Frozen lands in Hong Kong, Tokyo, and Paris will have some sort of ride like this. Uh, Again, don't want to spoil too much, but hopefully a better version. Just maybe a few extra things. And again, maybe the version that we have right now was just kind of like a base point and, you know, they were using something that they already had. So I would have to assume that if they were building something from scratch, it would be an updated version. Quick aside, I know you guys have probably heard Louie barking up to this mm-hmm. point. Our dog, we apologize. He's very excitable right now. Very vocal. So we apologize. Hopefully he won't bark too many times throughout the rest of this episode. But some people have said that they like when Louie makes an appearance. Well, there you go. Louie's. Officially entered the building. All right. So let's talk about the history of the Norway Pavilion and of Maelstrom. So first off, Norway was never supposed to happen. And that's kind of a little foreshadowing to this pavilion and to this ride's story of kind of a theme that we will continue coming back to. So originally, Disney wanted to create a Denmark pavilion, and they even built a Denmark-themed bathroom as a starting point for the project. So I know some of that structure for the bathroom is still there. I think it's kind of incorporated into the bakery portion. Is that your understanding as well? Or is it where the Norway bathrooms are now? I don't know. Honestly, I have to go back and look because we watched videos and I feel like they very clearly showed the building. But I honestly never walked through Epcot, like searching for Denmark architecture or looking at the bathrooms. So I honestly can't give you an answer right now. So when Epcot first opened in 1982, you would walk from Mexico there's kind of this blank space, this blank canvas. You could tell something was coming to in the future. And there's this one lonely little bathroom building sitting there before you got to China. So originally they wanted Denmark to come in. That that idea expanded on itself and they wanted this whole Scandinavia portion. So they reached out to Sweden, Finland, Norway, and Denmark to try to build this really expansive Scandinavian themed pavilion. Norway was the only one who could come up with the money. Which is kind of funny. I never even thought about the countries actually putting forth their own money to invest in this. Well, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but obviously the big thing of why a country would invest in World Showcase is to drive tourism. And my wording was probably wrong last time. It's not that they couldn't come up with the money. They chose not to come up with the money. (laughs) They did not. (laughs) So they're left with Norway, the only one. But Disney still didn't let that dream die. And you can see it in a lot of the early marketing for when the Norway Pavilion opened up in 1988. They said, Norway, the gateway to Scandinavia. I wonder why they were against just saying... Norway. 
Like, I wonder if they were maybe just holding on to hope or if they thought it would be cooler, if it was all of those countries kind of put together. I'm not really sure. I do believe that there was a portion of it that it had already leaked that they wanted more than just Norway. Mm. So this might have been a little bit of damage control as well. This is a broader discussion that we can have on World Showcase at a later date. But you can also think about they had announced that countries like Spain were coming Mm -hmm. as well. That never came to fruition. So Norway opened as the 11th World Showcase country. And sadly, that's the last one we've gotten. 1988 was the last installment to World Showcase. Of course, been rumors upon rumors for years and years about countries like Brazil coming. Nothing has panned out yet. Yet. So uh, it opened, like I said, June 3rd, 1988, a little less than six years after Epcot Center opened. But Maelstrom did not open with the rest of the land. Maelstrom saw delays and they pushed it back a month later to July 5th, 1988. So not too much longer. But if you think about the conception of Maelstrom or the inception of an attraction in Norway, they always the Imagineers always knew that they wanted to include a ride in this specific pavilion. Specifically, they really wanted a thrill ride as this was going to be the second installment for attractions in world showcase, which was already kind of a controversial topic, but it would be second to El Rio del Tiempo, which we now know as grand fiesta tour. They were a lot of the early conceptions did have it as a boat ride. However, it was not going to be for lack of a better term, a boring boat ride (laughs) because then it would essentially be the exact same as El Rio del Tiempo. So I don't know. I think it's interesting that, and even in a lot of the early marketing, they said that Maelstrom was a thrill ride. Oh, yeah. I mean, and I think in a lot of the other things that we've learned about Imagineering and ride design just over the course of doing this storytelling series, they are very intentional and they're always trying to draw people to certain areas. And, you know, they are looking at it from like a whole park standpoint. And by putting a thrill ride in the World Showcase, they were trying to get some of those people out of the front of the park and into that back area of the park because at this time period, there wasn't a lot for people to do. Um, A lot of people didn't really see the hype. They probably weren't spending a lot of their time there. So I think they really hyped up the thrill factor just in, you know, an effort to get people to actually go back there. It is crazy to think about how that's what they talk about a lot of times in the early days of Epcot. Everybody spent all of their time in Future World and in the Land and the Seas Pavilion. And nobody really went back into world showcase. And now I feel like it is completely the opposite. You can walk for minutes without (laughs) seeing anybody in future world anymore. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's just because they've put so much effort into, you know, festivals and making world showcase such an interesting area where you can see so many things and spend so much time. I think maybe in the beginning that was lacking. So, of course, the Maelstrom that we got was not the original concept for what it was supposed to be. It was originally going to be called Sea Venture. And some of those early concepts were wild. They really 
leaned into Norse mythology, into trolls, and it was quite weird in some of those early concepts. And of course, we mentioned that Norway was a sponsor at this time. They also had corporate sponsors. And so they previewed this, uh, the concept art and, and for what they wanted to build. And they did not buy it whatsoever. No, I mean, and it makes sense if you think about it, that they want people to want to go to Norway. They don't just want people to view Norway as like this, you know, interesting, crazy, you know, mythological place like they want to put their best foot forward. Um, So it makes sense. So if you think about the Maelstrom story, for lack of a better (laughs) term, uh, it might be a good time at this point if you wanted to pause, please come back, but pause and go watch a POV of Maelstrom just so you're familiar with some of the scenes that took place there. But that discussion between the diplomats and between the corporate sponsors and the Imagineers led to kind of this hodgepodge between trolls, Norse mythology, but also real life scenes from Norway, such as polar bears and oil rigs. And yeah, it's interesting when reading what some of the Imagineers had to say and what they actually came up with, they kind of went with what they called like a, a time travel thing so that they could squeeze all of these things into this one ride. So it is very interesting. It's very different, but I felt like once we kind of researched and had a better understanding for what the ride was trying to show, I mean, it kind of made sense. Kind of. It was still kind of a hodgepodge. I will always agree with that. But the oil rigs were weird. The oil rigs were weird. And something that we didn't mention earlier is it was kind of the oil rigs that caused the ride not to open on time because that's where they wanted the thrill. They wanted it to be like lightning and, you know, waves crashing and like buckets of rain like you were in some kind of you know, storm. They had a Tesla coil and they were spraying water at you. And (laughs) somehow they thought that was a good idea at first. Then they thought maybe we shouldn't mix electricity and water. Yeah. So that's where they had some issues too. But ultimately, I mean, Maelstrom is a pretty cool ride. There's also some urban legends. I I guess they're urban legends at this point about some of those early concepts when they were doing these soft openings and they had the thrill turned all the way up at the very beginning that they said a reporter fell out of the boat one time on one of these rides and people came off soaked <laughs> from head to toe, like worse than Splash Mountain, worse than Collier River Rapids. Like they were even giving people ponchos before they went on to the attraction. But you know that leads well into the gift store where you can buy those very, very expensive Norwegian jackets. They were onto something. They were one step ahead of the gift shop game. They need to put it before you ride the ride. <laughs> um, so that's kind of the inception of how Maelstrom came to be. It sat in the back portion of Norway for over 25 years before eventually They decided to replace it with Frozen. And, you know, obviously they were following the money at that point that Anna and Elsa were killing it in the meet and greet side. Merchandise is a gigantic deal for Frozen. And so they decided to ultimately pull the plug on it. 
there are still few, there are still a few nods to Maelstrom that you can find in Frozen Never After. First, it is pretty much besides the very very beginning portion of it, the exact same track as maelstrom and i think it's actually the same track they just moved the loading and unloading zone right yeah they made it so that you load and unload in the same spot whereas in maelstrom you had your own section and they kind of pushed everything back so the frozen ride the i guess the story of the ride starts earlier than it did with maelstrom um and i just for to be technically correct you do load and unload in different spots on frozen, but they're in the same room. They're back to back. Yeah. Okay. Yes. It's not like, but it's all open. Correct. Mm -hmm. It's not like uh pirates mm -hmm. where it's completely different rooms. That's how maelstrom was set up. Yes. So exact same track in the queue. You can see wood carvings in part of Arendelle that are depicting the polar bear scene from maelstrom. Mm hmm. I've heard that you can see puffins somewhere too, which puffins were part of Maelstrom. I haven't seen them. So if anybody knows where the puffins are, let me know. Maybe they're next to the polar bear and I've just been fascinated <laughs> by the polar bear and missed it. Uh, honestly, we haven't spent too much time in the frozen ever after queue. It's been a while, honestly, because it is one that if you're going to Epcot, you would typically grab a fast pass. What is that? I know. Now it's not a thing, but... I mean, you would usually. The last one I thought was pretty cool was when you're climbing the waterfall. Um, so in Frozen Ever After, it's depicting that you're climbing into Elsa's ice castle. In Maelstrom, you were climbing a waterfall. Um, and it used to be that the light was shining through Odin's eye. Yeah, that Odin. <laughs> um, from Thor. And... I guess from Norse from mythology. From Norse mythology, Brendan. <laughs> well, didn't Norse mythology pull it from Marvel? So, definitely. Okay. 100%. That's how that timeline worked out. Mm -hmm. um, they kept that same light and they just put an ice castle over top of it. Which, I'll say it, it's cheap. I mean, Disney knows how to save money and make money. I'll give them that. So, that is kind of the background for how... Maelstrom started, how it ended, how Frozen came to be. And there's just a couple points that I want to make based off of the discussion that we've had so far. So as with many rides, and we've we've had this discussion time and time before, is that the ride that got pushed to production and out to the public was not what the Imagineers wanted. And I think you see in a lot of these stories where that happens that I don't know if resentment is the right word, but when they see an opportunity to pull it back, they take it a lot of times. Well, I I would agree with that because, you know, these Imagineers, I can imagine they take a lot of pride in their work and their creativity and that kind of freedom to do so. And I can imagine it's never really a fun process to kind of have to give that up in a way just to fit, you know, maybe the agenda of someone else that you're working with. And it definitely doesn't give them that same kind of ownership that they would have over something that maybe they had complete creative freedom over. So I do think it probably made Maelstrom a little bit easier to let go. Yeah. I mean, so the executives and the diplomats 
from their sponsors and from Norway kind of handcuff them on their creative freedom. So I can't speak for the Imagineers, but if I was in their position, I would feel that way that Mm -hmm. you're not completely satisfied with how everything played out. Well, there's always that like, what if, you know? So I also want to point out because I, I honestly don't want to talk about it the rest of the episode because it's that horrific. The movie that they made you watch they for a period of time, they made you watch it after Maelstrom. Just like they make you go into a gift store. And then it became optional after that. And then some days they didn't even run it. But the movie that followed Maelstrom, I will go on record and say that was the most bored I've ever been in my entire life. I honestly don't ever remember watching it. Maybe every time my family rode Maelstrom, maybe the ride or the movie wasn't showing after the ride and we just got to skip it. But I do not remember that. I remember vividly as a child when they would make you watch at the end, Mm -hmm. which I know that's quote unquote. I'm sure there were people that skipped it and you found a way. My family rule followers. He stayed. (laughs) (laughs) So we stayed and we watched it and I would go kicking and screaming into riding Maelstrom, not because I disliked the ride, which I kind of did. It was scary for me. Yeah. Um, But because I didn't want to watch the stupid movie at the end. It released in 1988 with the ride, and I feel like it was almost immediately outdated. Yeah, and I did read some of that in some of the things that I read, just that, you know, at one point as that transition between the Norway Pavilion having sponsors and then it turning back over to Disney, you know, there was the option for the video to get redone and some people offered to do it for free, but Disney wanted Norway to pay for it. And there was a lot of, you know, disagreement about who was going to pay for this new update. And then eventually they just got rid of it. So they knew it needed to be updated. We knew it needed to be updated, but it just never got done. Yeah. So a couple of other things that were in the works that ultimately led to Maelstrom's demise were the sponsorships pulled out. So long before this, and I can't even remember what year it was, but I think it was before the 2000s. I don't remember. It wasn't very long that both Norway and their corporate sponsorships pulled out from funding the pavilion. So that left it all on Disney, but it also freed them up where they don't have to watch tourism numbers as much and see correlations between people who visit Epcot and people who go to Norway. Mm -hmm. And so I think that also freed up, you know, maybe some ties that they previously had to it. And then one last question, then we can move on. And it's a discussion that we probably have to have at some point during this episode is I used to be team intellectual property in Epcot. I thought the more the merrier I go to Disney to see Disney characters. And I feel like learning the story of Maelstrom and the Norway Pavilion has rattled me a bit on that stance. And I'm almost really reconsidering that. That, I don't know, hearing the Prince of Norway speak at the opening made me realize how how much effort and uh you know strides we're making we're make making <laughs> were made to give you a real cultural representation of these countries and so 
I don't know. I don't know if your stance has changed either, but just something to think about. Yeah, we did have this conversation and, you know, maybe after we finish sharing everything that we researched, you'll have a better idea and you can kind of make your own decision. But I do appreciate more of the time and effort that went into the planning of the Norway Pavilion and making it accurate and, you know, the research and all of that. I'm always very interested in that. Same thing with, you know, Animal Kingdom and everything that we talked about over there. But I do think still that there is room for both. Like, I don't mind so much having an intellectual property ride, but maybe keeping everything else culturally appropriate, if that makes sense. Because I do think there's room for both. And I think, you know, maybe it's just a good gateway to get kids interested in the different companies you know, in the different countries and going back into World Showcase and giving them something to look forward to that they can kind of grow up with. I think there's room for that. But, you know, even in my research, I think Disney does a really good job of even trying to, you know, show some of those cultural features and geographic features of Norway in Frozen. So it's not like they just throw something together and completely forget about the history or the background. So that's kind of where I think there's still room for both. Where I get hung up on, though, is if you look at the gift shops. This is about the only one that is pure Disney merchandise, Disney licensed plush dolls jammed down your throat. You don't really see that in too many other pavilion gift shops. But see, I don't necessarily agree with that, because once you get past the frozen down your throat, They do still have like the troll gift shop where they still sell their really expensive jackets and the cologne. I know people love that cologne for some reason. Oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. We'll have to smell it sometime. But they do still have a small portion of like Norway authentic merchandise. I don't think it's probably nearly as popular as the frozen merchandise, which is why they put so much of it there. But they still have have it i guess my point is mulan opens up in two days do you think you're gonna find mulan merch in the china pavilion i bet not very small amount exactly but it's i don't know it's two different movies though you can't compare mulan like this to frozen i don't know that's just where i keep getting hung up fair enough So the next thing that I wanted to talk about was just some of the research that the Imagineers did for the Norway Pavilion, because I do think it's important to kind of set the scene for where the ride is located. And again, just to kind of showcase some of the care and attention to detail that these Imagineers put in to this space. So first off, some notable Imagineers. We have Jeff Burton, who was the Maelstrom project manager. Bob Kurtzwell, Kurtzwheel, who was the attraction designer for Maelstrom. We're about to do a whole episode of Catherine tries to pronounce <laughs> names. Put it in the bloopers in the back. It's been a long day. I'm still teaching, you know. I'll just use that as my crutch. I can't say the kids' names either. But he also came up with the idea of time traveling through the history of Norway. So thank you, Bob, for that. Randy Bright, 
Joe Rohde, who I had to mention, as soon as I saw his name, my eyes just lit up. He designed the boats as some of his very first concept work as an Imagineer. So Joe Rohde had a say in Maelstrom. And then because it's the same boats, he had a say in Frozen. I don't know. Maybe the boats is the extent of that say. I don't know exactly. But he Does had a Joe part Rody of it. strike you as a Frozen guy? Not necessarily. <laughs> but with some of the things that we're going to talk about, I think it might be up his alley. And so that was just bonus points to me. So Frozen just went up a couple notches because Joe Rohde touched it. And then Jack Fergie's built the model for the ride vehicle ship and sculpted um, some of the designs for the polar bears. And that was the last project that he did before he retired. So some big names. How much would you pay for one of those polar bears now? What what would we do with that? They were huge. Put it in our bedroom. Oh my God, no. That's terrifying. That's like people who have like stuffed bears and, you know, like things that they shoot like in their house. That's terrifying. I want the polar bear from Maelstrom. Or, okay, how about a puffin? I would take a puffin. Okay. A puffin's more our speed. The Norway Pavilion itself is designed to look like a typical Norwegian village, and it actually features four different styles of Norwegian architecture. Here we go. It's the Setsdal style. I don't know how to say these. You do this. Setsdal. Do the rest. Bergen style, Oslo style, and Alusund style. I would have butchered that. But four different kinds of architecture. And of course, in order to actually study these types of architecture, they made a trip over there. They did their research. They wanted it to be as accurate as possible. And other features of the Norway Pavilion include the Stave Church, which is based on the 1212 AD Gall Stave Church, which is in Norway. And this is a small little church. I don't know how often people go in there because usually when we're in there, it's completely empty. But that's where you can actually learn more about the Norse mythology and you can see the real backgrounds of people like Odin and Thor and Loki. So it's a Marvel museum? Not the Marvel version, the actual mythologic version, um, which is pretty interesting And it talks about some others as well. But those are the big names, of course. And then it also hosts the Akershus restaurant, which resembles and is named after the Akershus Fortress in Oslo. Which I didn't know was a real place. Me neither. Do they have real princesses there? I would doubt it. That came later. Is it a buffet? No, definitely not. Is it a mask relaxation zone? (laughs) you're getting carried away but this kind of also carries over into the research that disney did for frozen so before we're actually going to get into the story of frozen ever after we have to talk about frozen and frozen is loosely based on the hans christian anderson fairy tale the snow queen and loosely is the key word there because here in just a second I'm going to tell you the story of the Snow Queen, and it is vastly different and very, very strange. This was published in 1845. Maybe that has something to do with it. But they 
Disney being they, opted to take the sister family approach when telling the story because they needed to better develop the characters and they needed to have a better storyline. So instead of just following one person by following Anna and Elsa and their differences, it kind of made for a better story, which I mean, I love it. So it is a better story. Are you ready for this, Brendan? Hit it with me. (laughs) Okay. So the background on the Snow Queen itself. This is the story of two young playmates. So you have a boy named Kai and a girl named Gerda. Satan, yes, and his demons carry around a mirror that shows people the ugliness inside themselves, but it gets broken when they attempt to fly it up to heaven. Therefore, all of these mirror shards fly around Earth and randomly affect people when they hit them. And it basically causes them to see only the worst in people. And it causes crazy, erratic behavior, mood swings, crazy things. So one day when Kai and Gerda are playing outside, one of these mirror pieces lands in Kai's eye. Tragic. And Kai becomes cruel. He's aggressive. And the only thing he cares about now is snowflakes. (laughs) This is weird. (laughs) It's very weird. He only cares about snowflakes, I guess, because it's snowing. And that's what he can see through these mirror pieces that are now in his eyes. Kai is out in the town, just kind of wandering around. And he gets taken by the Snow Queen, which kind of alludes to the Snow Queen being a villain. At one point in time, Disney was actually considering making Elsa the villain. Fun fact. So the Snow Queen carries him off on her sleigh and kisses him twice. One time to numb him from the snow. Thanks for that, Snow Queen. And then the second time to make him forget about the people that they're leaving behind. Gerda, of course, is heartbroken being his friend when the townspeople insist that he probably just died in the nearby river. They just assumed they didn't go look for him. And Gerda does not want to believe the townspeople. So instead, she decides to go out to search for her lost friend. And who does she take along with her? A reindeer. Gerda and a reindeer go out to find Kai and they save him with the power of love. So right there in that last sentence, you can basically see a big majority of what Disney pulls from the actual Snow Queen. We got a reindeer and we have... Love conquers all, basically. Do we have a snowman? I did not read about any snowmen. No. No marshmallows. No. No Olaf's. No. So. Those are all original. Those are all original. So, you know, most of the storyline for Frozen is original because, again, it's pulling very, very loosely. Um, But that is, just in case you're wondering, what is the Snow Queen? There it is. So basically, after Disney um, had that understanding of the Snow Queen and kind of developed their characters, they needed to get some realistic inspiration. And this is what I love so much about Disney. And you know what that means. It means they have to go on trips. They went to some pretty interesting places. Typically, you would just think they're going to go to Norway, but they did not just go to Norway. They sent the animators to Wyoming so that they could become familiar with walking in snow. And they came up with all kinds of very interesting techniques because of it so that they could get 
you know, if you've ever walked through snow, kind of that sinking as you go through those different levels. So I thought that was pretty cool. They sent lighting and art teams to go to an ice hotel in Quebec to see how the light reflects and refracts on snow and ice. And then finally, they traveled to Norway to gather inspiration for the look of the film. So that's when they took in a lot of things for the, you know, geography, ice, mountains, water, fjords. They incorporated all of those things. And if you look at pictures of Norway and compare them to the scenery that you see in Frozen, I mean, they're spot on. And then they also took smaller things like clothing and architectural features and incorporated that into the movie. I hate to be that guy, but but then they took everything that they learned and didn't put any of it into this ride. Well, <laughs> but it's on the outside. So in a way, you know, it's in the pavilion still. Yeah, but if you think about we're about to talk about the scenes of Frozen Ever After. But if you think about them, you don't see any fjords. You don't see any mountains. You see a bunch of ice and a bunch of screens for backdrops. So we're starting to catch a glimpse at maybe how you really feel about this ride. Maybe. Maybe just a little. Yeah. But let's talk about the story of Frozen ever after. So I was actually kind of unfamiliar with this story and you guys may be more familiar with it than I am. But the ride commemorates the anniversary of the day that Queen Elsa saved her sister. At this point in the story, in the timeline, she's still Princess Anna. Hopefully you've seen Frozen 2 by now. Um, <laughs> and through her unselfish act of true love, she was able to save her sister. The story goes that to celebrate, Elsa planned on an official summer snow day and has invited all of us and all of Arendelle to take part in the celebration. So you enter into Arendelle at the beginning of the queue while you walk through the Wandering Oaken's trading post and sauna. Um, Oaken is in there saying you who in his family in there, too, with him. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, you get different scenes depending on when you walk through. So sometimes it might be just him. Other times it's the family. But there's always a yoo-hoo. Yeah. So you see, that's kind of the staple of the queue. The rest is just kind of various buildings that are uh, scattered throughout Arendelle. You then board onto your boat and you encounter Olaf and Sven singing, Do You Want to Build a Snowman? Before Grandpappy is telling little pebbles the story. Little trolls. Of Anna and Elsie. I think they're little pebbles. They're little troll pebbles. After um, you pass Grandpappy, you ascend into Elsa's ice pallets, where then you find Olaf again, and you see Anna, Kristoff, and Sven singing for the first time in forever. After you pass their scene, two gates open where Elsa greets you with Let It Go. And once you reach her, she casts a spell, for lack of a better term. She moves the ice, I guess, is a better. She uses her magical powers and she moves your boat over and pushes you backwards down a slope where then you end your descent by being cornered by marshmallow and the other little marshmallowettes <laughs> they have a correct term i don't know what it is uh and then you switch over to go forward again where you 
go down, find the big finale of Anna, Elsa, Elsa and Olaf singing in summer. So. Did you know that story beforehand? I did just because I had read about just the ride itself before, just briefly, nothing crazy, but I did know it was an original story. You know, they're not just retelling Frozen, which is what a lot of dark rides do. So I did appreciate that, you know, kind of twist on just a typical dark ride that they did a little something different. Um, And I mean, I guess I knew that really the whole purpose of their ride was just to bring you up to Elsa's ice palace and to celebrate. I mean, because they kind of mentioned if you listen closely in the words, it's not the exact songs. I mean, they do change the lyrics a little bit to kind of reflect what's happening. Like, I think at the very beginning, Olaf says something about how you're celebrating and that's why you're going up to the ice palace. I just think like for both of us, a big theme of attractions that we really, really enjoy is that the story starts unfolding and you get glimpses into what is happening before you get on the ride vehicle. And I don't necessarily think that happens here because Arendelle cannot creep out into the Norway pavilion so that it still keeps its integrity mm-hmm. as a Norway pavilion, whatever's left. And you're not really encountering anything else throughout the queue to give you a glimpse into what's happening. There's one sign, one poster. Right when you walk in. Yes, that I can picture right now. And I don't know what exactly it says, but it is some kind of declaration about how you are being invited in. And on a normal day, you know, if it's if the line is moving fast or if you had a fast pass, you would definitely probably just walk by and not read it. But I do know there is one piece of signage in the front, like in that front room queue area that says something about, you know, celebrating because of, you know, Elsa's selfless act. So I think it is easy to miss. I think maybe they could have put more like flyers out or something like if it was like a town festival or you know decree or you were being invited maybe there would be more invitations just to make sure that everybody understood what was going on but that's really the only thing that stands out to me as far as like you said setting the scene for what's taking place and telling that story because i think the only other time that you really get a glimpse into it on the ride is i think olaf has maybe a line at the very beginning Mm mm-hmm and then Grandpappy telling the story to the young trolls. Yeah. But other than that, you sort of have to piece it together yourself, I think. Yeah. Once you get past that first scene, and especially once you do reach Elsa, I mean, it's her singing Let It Go, which I like the song. I obviously like the movie, but that's what it is. She's singing Let It Go. She pushes you back. You see a lot of projections and snowflakes. And then when you reach Marshmallow, you know, I don't know really how he progresses the story. He gets you back down the mountain. But I mean, I think that's his purpose. So I always thought that he said, let it go. Last time you wrote it, you wrote it without me. You thought he said something different. I couldn't understand what he said last time, but I 
thought from memory that he said, get out or something like that. But he definitely didn't say get out this past time that I wrote it. So I honestly have no clue what he said. I'm almost positive. He says, let it go. That's I don't know. I could not understand him this last time I wrote it. So I would love if anybody knows what he says. I would love to know what he said because I could not catch it. And it is not get out. (laughs) So I'll kind of leave my I was going to say I'll leave my opinions out of this, but I guess we're past that point. Well, we're about to give our Neverland score. But first, we got to hear from our Facebook friends. So if you would like next week for us to share your score and your stories from this attraction, head over to our Facebook group at Detour to Neverland Podcast Community. The link to that is in our show notes as well. Go join us over there every Monday or Tuesday. We post what ride we are doing and you can share your score for us to read on air. So. First off, I want to say Jake, who made this scoring system for us, has never been on Frozen Ever After or Maelstrom. Well, he said he doesn't remember Maelstrom. Okay. So That's a good a, clarification. There is a chance he got to write it as a kid, like we did, and it just like, whoop, went over his head. So I know Jake is coming down pretty soon to Disney World. Maybe he'll get on Frozen Ever After and we'll have to get his fresh opinion. Yes. And his score for this. So our friend Catherine said she gave it a 4.25. I loved Maelstrom and cannot mention Frozen without talking about it, too. As far as updating, I'm not sure how they'd update it. Uh, I guess it's good to point out that I posed some questions to people (laughs) as well, saying, can you talk about this ride without mentioning Maelstrom? Do you think it needs to be updated to Frozen 2? Are the animatronics too creepy for you? And do you know what the story of the ride is? So you'll see some responses to those prompts here. Makes sense. Erica said, okay, when I went in 2016, it was changing over. So we never got to ride the original, which is sad. Uh, We didn't know what it would. We didn't know it would go backwards. So that was a surprise. But we did think the animation looked very odd from most angles. And she gave it a five and a half. Sean gave it a five. So similar score. He said animatronics are really impressive and it never breaks down like Maelstrom, but I would never stand by line this attraction. That's Bavarian pretzel time in Germany, which, you know, you got to keep moving. You got to get through (laughs) World Showcase. Fair enough. I will say that little bakery in Norway, though, has some really good things. We typically would eat there in breakfast when we were the crazy people who would like run back there to ride Frozen on vacation. They have some really good breakfast back there. You remember the good old days of rope dropping frozen ever after people lost their minds. Uh, We were literally those people. We've done some pretty shady stuff to get on rides. Me and Liz running through the parking lot to get a rise boarding pass. You and me riding or running back to get in line for frozen for rope drop. There's a lot of running in Disney. We've never done Flight of Passage, though. No, no. Maybe we just knew that that would be too far out there for us. We can't run that fast. But Stacy said she gave it a 6.25. I'm always at Disney with kids, so that may influence this, but I love this ride. I never went on Maelstrom, but I did watch a ride through of it, and it looks like it was a little creepy. Sorry to anyone who loved that ride. Frozen is by far the biggest draw for little kids, so it is the perfect addition to World Showcase. I don't think it needs a retheme, but it would be fun to see Frozen 2 elements added in eventually. 
So a lot of things that we talked about as far as kids and just the ride overall. I will say our niece loved this ride. Well, I mean, she falls into the kid category. Yeah. Lauren said, I give it a 4.75. It's fine, but the animatronics projection faces are creepy. I'm basically a sucker for a dark water ride, though. Loved Maelstrom as a kid. So this is a downgrade from me. And then Ryan said, I think Ryan was channeling my exact opinions. Okay. On most of this. He said a solid five based on the chart. The animatronics are fine. They just don't photograph well, and they certainly look better than the General Hux animatronic on Rise of the Resistance. That's another discussion for another day. <laughs> as far as the story, you're going to visit Elsa in her ice castle, and then she sends you back to Arendelle proper. There's also a great little bit with Olaf you don't always hear, where he says he doesn't know the words to the song Anna and Kristoff are singing. Yes. So right when you get into the ice palace, there's that little scene where he's ice skating, and he... His dialogue is funny. Oh, you have to listen to it for next I time. Will. Normal people can talk about this attraction without mentioning Maelstrom, but Disney fans surely can't. For what it's worth, Maelstrom had less of a story. It was just a showcase of things that corporate sponsors wanted, followed by the most boring film presentation in World Showcase. Right there. Fair That's enough. the synopsis of everything. <laughs> So that's it from Facebook. So we thank everybody for submitting their scores and their opinions. I, I think I agree with everybody. Yeah. All right, Catherine. What is your score? I gave this a six and I do wish I could have rated it a little bit higher, but I just don't think all of these things were there. Um, I completely agree with I don't know how I didn't bring it up earlier, but I agree with everyone who mentioned the animatronics because I do not like them. I honestly don't like the whole projection on the faces. I'm a sucker for a real animatronic. I just think they're cooler. You're on a roll of saying animatronic correctly. Well, knock on wood. Um, see, I think the same style as the one that's used in Seven Dwarfs Mine Train. I think it works there. For some reason, it doesn't work here. I almost think it's I hate to talents. say this. No, I hate to say this. Are you closer to the ones in the frozen ride? Is that why? Does it look weird like up close? Uh, I don't know. To me, what I always hate about it is especially Anna because she's a little bit tanner than Elsa. There is such a dark contrast between the light hitting her face and like her jawline. You can see the makeup line. <laughs> yeah, she did not. <laughs> she didn't blend very well. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I didn't know what the word was. There we go. Does she need more contour? Is that right? She probably has too much. Oh, too much contour. <laughs> I appreciate that. But my top score was honestly just smiling from ear to ear. So the smile factor, because it does make me smile. I mean, how could you not? Um, I think my lowest scores, well, they were all kind of in the same category. But nostalgia, again, because it is a new ride. And then I'd say just like thrill factor. It is kind of thrilling because there are some drops, but in the grand scheme of things, not super thrilling. I gave it, this is really the biggest discrepancy we've ever had. I gave it a four and a half. So we're a point and a half off from each other. Uh, I was pretty much middle of the road, like meh. For almost everything. Uh, the only thing that I scored it pretty high in was Fast Pass Worthiness. And that's just that's just because of how Epcot lays out. Well, and it's interesting because we had this conversation before we started to record that this is probably the first 
and maybe the last, we'll see, ride that the research actually made us dislike the ride more. Like typically when we do our research and we get to learn about the stories and the history of the rides, it gives us a better appreciation. And, you know, that's like what we saw for Collie River Rapids. But for this ride, we could almost appreciate, you know, the effort that went into the Norway Pavilion and Maelstrom more than the effort that went into Frozen. And maybe it's just because we like the history part of it, but not that we don't like the ride, but I do almost wish that we could have kept both. Well, that was my point. And that's what I put in my notes is that I think it is possible to think these two things at the same time. It was time for Maelstrom to go and Frozen Ever After should not be there. I think it should have been replaced with something else or Maelstrom should have got an update. But Frozen is worthy of something so much more than a boat ride in Epcot. And not even its own boat ride, just a reskinning of a previous attraction in Epcot. And and, Oh, I see what you're saying. Where do you think this would have fit better there's two places that stand out to me i think you could make it work in hollywood studios okay you have a toy story land you've already broken that barrier that you build immersive lands in galaxy's edge as well so knock down indiana jones put it going out that way okay i don't know how the geography lays out there's probably not much room there but anyway i think hollywood studios would work but for me, if you if you're just getting one attraction, that's fine. I think Fantasyland would make more sense. How would you be okay? So we kind of mentioned that at the beginning of this. There are all of these frozen lands coming to Hong Kong, Tokyo, and Paris. Would you be okay if Storybook Circus went away and we got Arendelle? Me personally, yes. Because I'm super jealous of anyone getting a Frozen Land. I think it's just going to be stunning. Um, But, I mean, now that they put Dumbo back there, that would be so hard to do. Well, yeah. You would would almost have to reconfigure that and push it back. And then with the train back there. Again, what train? No, we haven't had the train is always there. I know you can what a lot of things, but not the train. But we haven't had in so long. I miss it. I know. I think that would be a good spot for it. I completely agree with Fantasyland, but I don't I don't know how you could get rid of Storybook Circus. Okay, one other problem. We could play this game all day. We could. But Princess Fairytale Hall. Who cares about that? Yeah, that could go. I just wonder if it would be big enough. I mean, it used to house. What was there? Mr. Toad? Mr. Yeah, but that was so small. In Disneyland, it is so small. I'm just saying. There's there's things in Fantasyland that not many people enjoy anymore. And I think Frozen would fit into that very nicely. I could see that. And I, I just, I think it's cheap to put in an Epcot and I feel like that's harsh terminology, but I, um, like 
we hate when Disney makes like these corporate moves of something that you can see as purely money driven. This one's money driven. It is. And I think, you know, the timeline shows us that the, I guess, kind of money saving things that they did by just overlaying it on Maelstrom and even keeping a lot of those same things, like you said, with Odin's eye in that first scene and just putting the castle on top of it. I mean, there are a lot of things that show us that, but hopefully next time you ride, maybe you'll catch on to some of those things. Maybe you'll find a puffin for us. Next thing to look for, a big eye spy. And I don't know, maybe we'll keep doing research and we'll find out more. Yeah. Just one last thing. I just feel like the story, there's such a deep story that you could tell with the Frozen attraction, and I think they missed it here. Just from a storytelling aspect, this is weak. I agree and disagree. I think I appreciate that it's a new story. I don't maybe think that they executed it as well as they could have. I mean, because having a celebration for, you know, this act, this act of selflessness, love, you know, whatever you want to call it. I think maybe they could have done a little more with it. Um, cause I don't even know what other kind of story they could come up with. I mean, it's Disney, so I'm sure they could come up with anything, but I appreciate it that it's a new story. I don't necessarily agree that it's done in the best way. So hopefully this was helpful. Hopefully it sparked some good discussion, made you think a little bit next time you write it. If there's something that we missed completely, let us know. Something that would help us get a deeper appreciation for it because that is our whole goal here. Next week, Catherine, what attraction do you want to do? We're headed to Hollywood Studios. We are. So for next week, I choose Star Tours. Probably another one that we have to talk about Disneyland and Hollywood Studios simultaneously. So we will do our best to capture that. I know there's some deep, deep history about how Star Tours came to be, and it was a major deal. So we will try to capture that next week on next Wednesday's episode. On Monday, we have another interview with you guys with Shannon from Second Star Collective. So we look forward to sharing that with you. Hope you have a wonderful rest of your week and a wonderful weekend, and we will talk to you next Monday. Thank you for listening to Detour to Neverland. Make sure you subscribe and leave us an iTunes review if you enjoyed the show. Between episodes, you can find us on Instagram at Detour to Neverland or visit DetourToNeverland.com. We appreciate you letting us be part of your day. See you real soon.